How many plane flights do you think you have taken in 2016? In 2016, you know, I never thought about it, which is probably a coping mechanism. Um, at least two a day on average. There have been days where we haven't flown debate prep and the like, but four or 500. I think I'm, I'm legitimately, I think I'm becoming hard of hearing as a result. <laughs> okay. You should know that about me. Well, hearing that's not like uh, something you need as a press secretary. No, or as a 33-year-old, by the way. <laughs> but anyway, I'm sure I'll recover. That's a lot of plane flights. It's a lot of plane flights. It's maybe even too many plane flights. I think it's too many plane flights. Speaking of which, I have to get on a plane. All right, then let's do this. Welcome back to With Her, Hillary Clinton's official campaign podcast. I'm Max Linsky. My guest today is Nick Merrill. He's Hillary's traveling spokesman, and we met at this small airport in New York just before he and Hillary were headed off for yet another rally. As you heard, Nick's done that a couple of times. In fact, he's been with her since 2009 when she was Secretary of State, and he's been with her from the very first day of this presidential campaign, which was over 500 days ago, even though Nick has been on the road for what feels like forever. Now that it's almost over, he's not totally sure he's ready for it to end. Well, hey, Nick Merrill. Hello, Max. Thank you for taking some time. I appreciate it. I'm honored to be here. I want to learn a little bit about your job. How many days off have you had in the last, like, six months? Well, it's not zero. I did linger in California once for three days. Whoa. With my girlfriend. And we drove the Pacific Coast Highway. When was that? Quickly. <laughs> uh, it was March, I think. Okay. Sometime in the spring. Just to be clear, we're recording this in October. Yeah. So the last couple of days off you can think of were March. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody has the same thing going, which is we're all tethered to our devices. So even if we're not in the office, we are on call. You're on. We're on. I know the no two days are the same, but help me understand what like a typical day is like. When do you normally get up? When do you have to get to this tiny airport we're at? Like, how does how does your life work? Why don't should we talk about today? Yeah, let's talk about today. We have a good day today. We'll talk about today. So today is a little different. We usually uh, the morning starts with a seven thirty call where we all just kind of like the the lame like Washington word for it is signals check. But we all get on the phone. <laughs> that is, that and is pretty lame, lame, right? Yeah, no, I thought you'd like that. Uh, <laughs> we all get on the phone, talk about what's happened overnight, talk about whether the tenor has changed. Um, so I usually get up, read a little bit of news, get on this call, and then. Typically, we're on our way to the airport by, you know, 8.30 or so. Today, we are going to Pittsburgh. We're meeting uh, the running mate, Senator Tim Kaine, in Pittsburgh. What do you actually do, though? Good question. <laughs> I am the, uh, the traveling press secretary. So these days, we have a press corps on the plane with us. But for some time, we've had a press corps, obviously, around us all the time. So my job is kind of two things. Number one, to work with them to make sure that they are getting information about what we're doing in the day, what she is saying during the day, particularly if she's making a particular piece of news, getting that out there. Also answering any other questions they may have. I don't know if you know this about the press, Max, but sometimes what we are uh, pushing to them is not necessarily what they are covering. Really? You may have heard that. Yeah. That's one piece of the job, tending to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing what we call little gaggles, where you sort of stand in a very close circle and they shout questions at it's you the, and you answer them. It's the same people every day. I would say there are 40 people and 
we have 20 to 30 of them with us every day. Right. So you've been traveling with basically the same people for like a long time, a long time, a couple of years. So you know, those people pretty I well. Them. I do. Do you like them? I do. All of them. Almost all of them. <laughs> Almost all of them. If you know someone that well, like what is it like to keep talking to them every day when they want something that's slightly different than what you want to give them? Right. Well, there's an understanding of what we both do. And the folks that we have traveling with us are, by and large, all very good people, very smart people. They are thoughtful and they pay a lot of attention to what she does. And so I think that no matter whether we agree or disagree, there is that commonality on a daily basis. And Mm -hmm. when you go through something as intense as this, you know, there's a certain you know, benefit to that, but they also, they work for their news organizations and they more often than not are interested in something very different than what we're interested in. And, you know, and that's where I think my job really comes in is, is you have to be a good messenger, even on things that you don't necessarily love that they're working on. Mm -hmm. And I think as long as they are respectful, which they are, and as long as we are respectful to them, which we are, I hope most of the time it works. And there are people who, you know, first of all, it's, you know, we don't always know the ideological views of, of the press. There's this myth that, you know, they're all bleeding heart liberals, but it's certainly not the way it feels um, all the time. And even when there are people from outlets that I think are commonly known as maybe a different ideological view than us, everybody is still a human being. And, you know, we all get along. And you just kind of have to compartmentalize the two. Let's talk a little bit about your boss. Okay, let's. Uh, you've been traveling with Hillary Clinton for some time. When when was like uh, when did it start? When was your first trip? I worked for her in 2007, and have with a very with the exception of a very small break, I've worked for her since then. But I started really traveling with her at the State Department. So like end of 2009. Um, I was essentially a professional babysitter on our press plane (laughs) or on our plane. It was all, it was all one plane, just like we have now. And, you know, we traveled 15, 20 press all over the world. And that was like the first sort of the beginning of the period where I was around her a lot. How is it different now than it was then? Well, being secretary of state is very different from being a presidential candidate. You know, she would go to the back of the plane and say hello to the press in the morning and you know before we leave on any trip and and after the initial pleasantries you know they'd be like well what do you really think about what's happening in Nagorno-Karabakh and or you know tell us tell us about the NATO meeting that we read the minutes and that uh you know she's she's like a, a wonk she loves that kind of thing and now you know, it's politics, it's ridiculous. And Mm -hmm. it's not because anyone designed it that way. It's just like that is how it manifests itself when you have the irrational behavior of many masses, whether they're the other campaign or the press all coming together and it gets a little bit sillier and that's fine. I think she understands that. I think, you know, she probably um, revels in it some, you know, a little bit more than she lets on, but uh, it is definitely different. How does the reveling in it manifest? Uh, I think I think she can laugh at herself. I think she can joke with her staff more than she probably gets credit for. 
you said a couple of times already, like more than you would think or more than she gets credit for. Or one thing that's been interesting for me after having talked to her a couple of times, right? Like everyone in my life now is asking me questions about her all the time. Mm -hmm. And I assume that that's your life, like times a million. Yes. Is there something in particular that people think about her that drives you crazy? There is a common perception. And even after all these years, a comment that we often get, which is, you know, why, why can't she just be more authentic? And I, I get the reasons for that. But number one, that means that you don't find her authentic. And number two, and I would even include myself in this category at times, particularly before, you know, I knew her as well as I do, is we all have these preconceived notions about everybody, good and bad. And if you add on top of that, the not insignificant piece of this, which is that she is, as you may have noticed, a, a female <laughs> doing some things that females have not traditionally done. And she has said this herself, you know, she has to walk a narrower path. If she is, if she seems too nice or too unserious, that's a problem for people. If she is too tough, that's a problem for people. And that is just simply not the case. We don't have to have a, an hour-long discussion about gender, and I am certainly not the resident expert on sexism in America. However, it is simply not the case with a man in power. It is just not. In private, she is much the same in public, and I mean that in, in like an in incredibly positive way as follows. She's very serious. She, I mean, she's been working at a very high level of uh, American public service for a very long time. You want a serious person. You want somebody that is thinking about issues as much as anything else. That is all true. She certainly knows how to laugh, which I think anybody that has also seen her publicly would find that as part of her public persona. I think that much of the problem is, is that, you know, there's a filter. And to go back to what I said a minute ago, is if you compound the filter with the fact that no one knows what this is supposed to look like, it creates this perception that, well, she's just, she's not, she's not doing a good enough job. Mm -hmm. She's just not doing a good enough job. And what I find is, as I said, the, the public and private versions of her are not really different at all, but in private, she is extremely warm on a, on a very personal level. That is obviously hard to convey from a podium. You see it when she works these, she's these rope lines, but she just like these experience she has even in these 30 second conversations with hundreds of people every day. And I have watched this with other people that are sort of high up in American political life. She does it very well, but more than that, she gets more from it, I think, than, than most people recognize. It's not all just, just selfies. Gets more from it like she... Let me tell you a story. I've never really told anybody this, let alone into a microphone, but this tells you something about her both privately and in the context you're just mentioning. She and I had a conversation one day on a flight somewhere around it's like a very tiny little puddle jumper. And we started to talk about my little brother had just become a police officer and he is adopted from China. And we were talking about adoption and she said, well, I met a woman who, while this is not the same thing, was a foster child. And she wrote a book about her experience. She had met this woman on a rope line. Mm -hmm. And the woman said, I was a foster child. You worked on foster care issues as a first lady. 
and I wrote a book about my experience, and I'm just so grateful for all the work you've done. She takes the book. You assume that even the best-intentioned human being, that book ends up like in a bin somewhere, thank you note, whatever. She'd taken the book home. She had read the thing. So the next day we get on the plane. We're going somewhere else on an equally small puddle jumper. And she gives me the, she brings the book from home. And she says, you, you know, borrow this, read this. I think you'll find it fascinating. So now after I read the thing, carefully I might add, because I'm feeling pressure to also have clearly understood yeah, I mean, this, that's a straight this book gesture, report. right. That she was, she was talking about things that happened deep into the book, you know, and so somehow she'd managed to take this home. She'd read it. She'd sent a thank you note to this wonderful woman who wrote the book. And all of this came out of an experience which the rest of her staff had completely forgotten, which was at some point she was handed this book on a rope line. We were standing two feet away, and she must have had a very enlightening conversation with this person mm. who was also thanking, for her, for, thanking her for her work and then was thoughtful enough to give it to one of her staff. And the whole package just, I think, says a lot about her, says a lot about the connection between her interpersonal experiences and how she views the work she's done overall and you know if you hear that story and don't think very highly of this woman then i don't know what to tell you one thing that some people will think when they hear that story is that you uh scripted it when you encounter that cynicism uh what's your response well Number one, if you want to follow up, you can interview my mother. She can test the fact I'm a terrible liar. <laughs> Just it would have been impossible for me to make that story up in a convincing way and look you in the face. Um, number one. Number two, one of the most interesting things about this campaign for me is I've worked for her for 10 years, but I have also not been around for a significant part of her public life. And so you can fall into the trap of thinking you know everything and then realize you don't. And part of that is a lot of the questions that are raised now about her. People don't trust her. People don't find her authentic, as we covered before. These things existed almost out of the gate for her. Mm -hmm. If you look back at a lot of the stuff from the 1990s, there are many of the same gripes that are, were totally baseless back then because you couldn't pick and choose from 30 years of things to cherry pick and decide that, that you, you wanted to chalk up her negatives to that. But also, there, there, there's some really interesting writing in the 90s about how, for whatever reason, she seems to own all of the villainy in the world. And if you look at it, it's actually contradictory. Like, she is too ambitious, but she's also too politically cautious. She compromises too much, but she's too hard charging. She tries to do things alone. You know, look, I'm, I'm sure that if she were sitting here next to me, she would say, look, I've made mistakes in my life. The mistakes that count to her are, you know, failures to deliver on policy. So like things like health care and, you know, those, th those things may be true. But I think for whatever reason, we find ourselves in a place today where it's probably not until she's elected that some of this will start to go away because she will be sort of officially creating that mold. And look, I think it'll also be 15, 20 years. It'll be a legacy thing before people sort of take a step back and say, oh my gosh, she really had her heart in the right place at all times. And maybe she made mistakes. And if you weigh them against her accomplishments and her efforts, they pale in comparison. And 
she always made decisions for the right reasons because she has a deeply, deeply held set of values. But there's no there's no model for this. Nobody knows what it's supposed to look like. And so she's either too far in one direction or too far in the other. And that's the way it is. Do you have a sense of that history? Like, do, do you think about that context, that larger context of, of what could potentially happen on November 8th when you're like running around every day to 15 different cities? It's hard to, but I have to tell you, I'm, I'm getting nostalgic. Like I am tired. We are all tired. There will be some sense of relief when this is over, particularly because it has been so ugly. But at the same time, I, 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 I sort of don't want this to end because it's been incredible. And I think, you know, I think she has learned a lot in this process. And I think she doesn't get credit for says the most, biased person in the world uh, aside from you know the other people you speak to on this podcast like her uh she has become a good candidate like a legitimately good candidate which was always the dig you know and she is not a natural politician another thing no one will ever believe ever at least for many many years to come she did not intend to be a politician she simply did not. That is a fact. That is just a fact. You can go back and you can look back at the conversations that she was having in the 90s. They had to push her into running for a Senate seat. She did not see herself as a politician. She did not spend many years cultivating the glad handing and the other things that you need to do. Now, obviously, she's become very effective because she is a very talented person. But she says herself, she is not Barack Obama. She is not Bill Clinton, who both were born with a charisma that seemed tailor-made for, you know, a speech at a podium and a rope line. But if you're willing to peel that back just a little bit and you're willing to control for those things, which people don't, they just, it's like, you know, they just want her to be the greatest of all time. And if she isn't, it's a problem. And if you, if you start to look at a couple of these context clues, you find that she actually is pretty good at this. She means what she says and she does what she promises. And I think that's all you can ask for. What are you going to miss? I mean, what do you when you when you that start campaign? Fe- yeah, when you start feeling nostalgic, what what are you thinking of? All right, this is this. You ready for the most cliched answer? I'm probably going to give you in this whole thing, but it happens to be the truth. So I'm gonna I mean, there, there's been a, a lot of cliches so far. So you uh, got okay, like got a high break. Right, get over. Great. Thank you for noting that uh, to your, to our listeners here. Um, I uh, the campaigning is just amazing. It like I, I I had these incredible experiences at the State Department. Went to all these different countries and did all these things that I never otherwise would ever have done you know i'm not taking a trip to kazakhstan anytime soon but i went there because of my job but you don't see people and these events that we do and the interaction she has and watching this thing that is completely with odds with the cynicism i face otherwise in my day you know we're like deep in a hole somewhere over some story or whatever the press are asking about and all that is fine that all makes sense but there's this other piece to this, which is that there are still people that come out and want to be involved in the political process because they are excited to be so, because they believe it can make a difference. And I think one of the reasons this race has been so difficult is that it has been lost on a lot of people, and for a lot of very good reasons, people are angry, and I, I, I don't entirely understand it. Because I, I don't pretend to, but I think I understand some of the inputs there. But I'm going to miss campaigning, particularly now that we have, we have this big, shiny plane, and the press are all on the plane, and the staff are all together. Uh, it's just been a lot of fun. You should come with us. I would love to. I I feel like uh, I, I can just imagine it uh, th- through these little glimpses that I've had. And it feels like um, there's this aspect of it that kind of feels like a road trip to me. You go on a road trip, a real like uh, epic road trip, and maybe this is like the most epic road trip of all time that you guys are on. But you get into this shared 
headspace. You start seeing the world through the eyes of the people who are in the car and uh, it sort of feels like you're on a different planet. Real life doesn't matter. You don't have a job. You don't have to pay taxes. You don't have to walk the dog. You're like um, on some kind of mission. And you're coming to the end of this road trip and I want to know how you've changed and how you think she's changed. Okay. I got sort of thrown into this. I worked at the State Department. I did a job that was more, like I said, like logistics and babysitting than press. And people in this world took me under their wing. And as is often the case in Hillary land, they just decide that you are capable of growth and let's see what happens. So I think I began on fairly unsure footing and as a 28 year old, 29 year old. And there's a big difference between 29 29. You're trying to hold on to your twenties, right? And then something has to happen as you get into your thirties and sometimes that goes well for people. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes those people are still trying to hold on to their 20s. And I think that having this grueling couple of years and having this experience that is, is not my personal experience, but observing an experience that is so tied in with what's happening in the rest of the country. I mean, this election feels almost existential. Combined with the limited time you have, you sort of decide what's important. And I find myself with much more confidence than I had three years ago. And part of that is just observing her and the people around her that are smart and capable, but in a multifaceted way, but still like good, genuinely good humans. You just, you sort of, you learn how to balance your life. And I couldn't have had better models for doing that. I mean, just all of the people that were around every day, but also I am now officially looking forward to the rest of my life versus trying to preserve some millennial 20s attitude. I am a millennial. I'm not insulting other millennials or I am, but I'm insulting fellow millennials. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm looking forward to, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. We don't know, you know, we technically are all unemployed come November 9th. And so the uncertainty is exciting. And I think that's a good thing. And I haven't felt that before. I've always been anxious about the next step. What if it's not as good? But, you know, I think Obviously, I'd prefer her to win, but I find myself sort of looking into the future, looking forward to settling down with my girlfriend and having children and do all the things that adults should do that I always knew I would do, but with no reservations. Mm-hmm. And I would attribute that to this experience for the reasons I stated. You talked about how she has evolved as a candidate, but what do you think the road trip has meant for her as a person? Hmm. Um, to think about this for a minute I think this has been and we're not even going to realize it till it's over an incredibly incredibly brutal election season we almost forget what normal is supposed to look like when she got asked about immigration and the first question in the debate the other night I was surprised even though that is one of the things we must solve and we have no choice but to solve that problem and we are very behind in doing so should be front and center along with series of other issues, which I won't name for fear of sounding like a a lame press secretary, but that surprised me. And the fact that that surprised me is a problem. And I think that when the the smoke clears, it will all become more real to us. But in the meantime, without having fully processed it yet, 
I think that such a contrast has in some ways I think for her personally and I and I think again this is going to sound so cheesy but I think a part of this is also like becoming a grandmother has has I think just given her clarity on how much is actually at stake that's not just a a talking point that there's a reason we say that and what is actually important for her to do because if we were running against you know Marco Rubio there would be a lot of pressure on well you you know you need to you need to go out there and do more funny TV shows to show your charisma and that that stuff is important it's important for other people to see you know and we've we've done that it's important for her, for her to go joke around with Ellen DeGeneres but but I think in some ways not the vitriol but the need for something affirmative and hopeful and it being so stark has hopefully steeled her resolve and given her more confidence about what we actually need to focus on. You have a plane to catch. I do. Nick, thank you. Thank you, Max. Thanks for listening to With Her. I'm Max Linsky. This is Hillary Clinton's official campaign podcast. And uh, that campaign, if you have not heard, it's for president. The election is on November 8th. If you do not know exactly right now how you are going to vote, go to IWillVote.com. That's IWillVote.com. Figure out how, when, and where you're going to vote. Go out to the polls. It matters. We got a couple more episodes for you before then. We'll see you soon.